0: When I was in um, when I was in graduate school, I learned. I, I, I have always loved philosophy, and I remember learning a term that has echoed uh, in my mind for a long time. As I have been a priest now for forty five years, and that it was. It's a philosophical term. The term, it's actually two words. The term is is naive realism. Naive realism. Naive realism refers to the fact of, like for example, when little kids are born and when they're growing up, they have the view of the world um, of little kids, which they're supposed to have. They're supposed to be naive. They believe everything. They don't see very much beyond uh, the reality of their mom and dad and their toys and, and stuff like that. You and I, as adults, who have had a... A broader vision of what life is all about. Know how naive they are, appropriately so, but how naive they are, because uh, they don't know what's waiting for them uh, as they grow older. I, I, I'll never forget one of our my, one of our older priests. Uh, who was in the seminary with us, who was our spiritual director when I was a young 25-year-old seminarian. He was an old, old man, and he, he used to say to us, buckle up, boys. You don't know what's coming at you. And he's right. Now that I'm 73, buckle up, boys. You don't know what it's coming. You see, even at that time, I was still at my proper level, but I was still a naive realist that you think that the world is the way you imagine it to be. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because throughout the years, I have come to understand that to some degree, all of us fall into that category. Naive realism. Now look at the two words. Naive. That means that uh, you believe stuff because you think it's true, but it's not. But you think it's true. And you realism is because you actually think that your picture of reality is actually the way reality is. But if you think about how it is that we come out slowly, but surely, out of naive realism is through a constant cycle of disappointment, dis, uh, let me use not that word, let me use the word disillusionment and re-understand, re-insights, new insights, which lead you to a deeper understanding of reality. Thus, naïve realism slowly goes from disillusion to deeper insight. And then that deeper insight is still its own level of naïveté and you wait for the next disillusionment and you keep on growing and growing and growing from disillusion to a little bit better reality, a little more complete reality, to disillusion, to a little more complete reality. Your life and my life are going to be basically that cycle, a cycle of disillusion and insight into the next level, and then you begin again, over and over and over again. Now, why am I speaking this way today? Every time I get to, the, to Advent, I'm very aware, as a mixture of insights, of, as a mixture of my, my own journey through disillusion and insight, to another disillusion and insight, to another disillusion and insight, I become more and more aware of why I am a Christian and why the truth of Christianity is the truth. Because you see, when you're young, and maybe sometimes even when you're older, but you're a little more stupid, you just think it's religion. You think, "Oh, that's religion." But you don't realize that you're still judging it according to naive criteria. Now, again, you're still—I'm still not answering the question. Why am I talking like this today? I want you to look at the first reading. If you have have a missalette, go ahead and look at it. But I I want you to see the cycle of disillusion and insight in the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, in the prophecy of Isaiah, you have to remember that the Jews were expecting a messiah. Now what was the messiah? Well, they had an idea that they had been conquered so many times. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, uh, different other smaller conquests, and then the Romans. They were conquered so many times and had come out of Egypt, out of slavery. And for hundreds of years, they had been through a cycle of disillusionment, liberation, and insight, only to be once again, conquered again, and back and forth. But all during this time, they had been revealed that a Messiah would come to liberate them. To liberate them from the cycle of disillusion. Now notice the word disillusion. To wake up from an illusion. They were expecting and they were promised a Messiah. And in the history of Israel, they imagined Israel to be this tremendous tree, like the trees of Lebanon. They imagined Israel to be a tree, and it was God's tree. It was God's tree. And from that tree, someday, there was going to come the Messiah. They were all waiting for the Messiah. And for a lot of them, they were all expecting that the Messiah was going to liberate them from their captors, be it the Assyrians or the Babylonians or in, in deterring the time of Jesus, the Romans. That God would come with his kingdom, with his army and drive out the Romans because that's what they were waiting for. And yet, Listen to Isaiah. Now remember, they imagine Israel to be this great tree of Lebanon. And now listen to Isaiah. And I want you to remember that Isaiah is going to use the name Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David. And out of the line of King David, the Messiah was supposed to come. Now, when Isaiah, about 400 years before Jesus was speaking, Israel had already been conquered by the Babylonians and Assyrians, not yet by the Romans. There was quite a bit of disillusionment Because what has happened? Didn't God promise that He was going to take care of us? Didn't He promise that a Messiah would come? What's going on? Now, listen to the first words of the prophet Isaiah. On that day, a shoot shall sprout, From the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. Now, just stop right there. I want to draw your attention to the stump of Jesse. What's Isaiah referring to? Remember, Jesse, the line of King David, was supposed to be this great tree. This great tree that topped all the other trees. And by the time Isaiah is prophesying, what is left? A stump. A stump. On that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in my house, at our home, there was in the front yard a stump. They had to cut a tree down. We expect that stump was dead. We did not have any, any expectation that anything would ever come from that stump. You see, We were pretty pessimistic about that stump. Nobody ever thought that anything would grow from that stump. And yet, what Isaiah is saying here is, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. What he's saying is, let's... Let me just put a little, take a little stop sign there. I want you to know, to, to understand the difference between optimism and hope. Now, what is optimism? Because they're not the same thing. What is optimism when you're optimistic? Well, the word itself means that you are waiting and Desiring that within the context of everything that's happening that the best thing happens you are expecting or hoping for the optimum You are hoping for the optimum But it's the optimum given the conditions that are surrounding it now hope is different hope is not optimistic. Hope is when you have gone beyond optimistic and you are now no longer expecting anything to occur and you are still, all of a sudden, you are given the idea that there might be a power that is beyond the limits of optimism that there might be a power that is beyond the limits of optimism. That's hope. What Isaiah is referring to is, he's saying to Israel, you live disillusioned. You've been disillusioned because you thought that the Messiah was going to come just the way you optimistically thought that he would from this great tree of Lebanon. But he's not. He is not coming from optimism. When you've given up on the stump, God is, his promise is, is still valid. God can make a shoot that will grow into that tree, come out of the stump of Jesse. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah is talking beyond optimism into the realm of hope. Because optimistically, nobody expects anything to come out of that stump. And so during Advent, during Advent, what we're focusing on is not optimism. You know, day before yesterday, I was in a discussion uh, about what's going on in the world and what's going on in the politics of the United States and the politics of, of our culture, the way it's going right now, and Somebody in the class, I was teaching a class, and somebody said to me, are you optimistic, Father? Are you optimistic that we're going to get out of this mess? Because everybody in the United States thinks that the United States is going in the wrong direction. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not optimistic. Because whenever I look back at world history, all I can see is the cycle between optimism and disillusion, optimism and disillusionment. You know, you go, you start even, you start at the beginning of last century, you have World War I, the war, the, the war to end all wars. Thirty years later, we are in World War II. Fifteen years later, we're in the Cold War, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the unsettled of all things that are going on, the culture that is going round and round, the bitterness of all that's going on in society. No, I am not optimistic. I don't think that the future of history is going to be any better than the past has been. There will be periods of calm. There will be. But... There will not last for long, maybe 30 or 40 years, at the most, if you're lucky. But I am hopeful. And why? Because hope is not optimism. Hope is when you've given up all the idea that, given the circumstances in which we live, that things are going to turn out okay. Give it up because sooner or later, they may turn out okay for a while, but there'll be another disillusionment coming your way. And if you bank on that, your life is going to be a series of ups and downs. But Isaiah is telling us not to be optimistic. He's telling us to be hopeful. Now, I'm going to end it with this. Notice how the reading ends up. The reading of Isaiah is not predicting optimism for for Israel. Notice where the reading goes. And he talks about the prophecy about Christ because he says, uh, on that day, um, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The blossom that comes from the shoot a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, predicting the Messiah, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, a delight shall fear the Lord, not by appearance shall he judge, not by hearsay shall he decide, but he shall judge the poor with justice and decide aright from the lands afflicted. He shall strike the ruthless with the rod of his mouth, and with the bread, breath of his lips shall, be, shall he slay the wicked. Justice shall be the band around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his hips. He's talking about, notice, it's not a military leader that he's talking about. Nobody knows exactly who this guy is talking about. But then notice the future. Notice that Isaiah is not predicting, even after the Messiah, Isaiah is not predicting an optimistic future. Why? How can you tell it's not optimistic? Because the future that he's predicting is not within the the realm of the possibilities of this world. Remember what optimism is. That given the way things are, the best possible result will turn out. That's optimism. Listen to what Isaiah, because Isaiah is, to a person who just has optimism, what Isaiah is describing is pie in the sky. Listen to this. If this is not pie in the sky, I don't know what is, according to the optimist. Then, The wolf shall be the guest of the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. Together their young shall rest. The lion shall eat hay like an ox. And the baby shall play in the cobra's den. And the child lay his hand in the adder's lair. There shall be no harm on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. On that day, the root of Jesse set up as a signal to the nations, the Gentiles shall seek it out, for his dwelling will be glorious. That's pie in the sky, according to optimist. according to the reality of this world. We know that there is no time in the history of this earth that the lion will lie down with the lamb that the baby shall play in the cobra's den. We know that never will it happen that that there shall be no harm on this holy mountain. God only knows we have so many wars and stuff like that going on. Do you reasonably expect? Do you reasonably expect that there's going to be any of this stuff? Heck no! That's why a lot of people can't believe it but all of a sudden, let's change. Let's change optimism, and let's bring in hope. Because what hope is, hope is something that belongs to God. Optimism belongs to humanity. Hope belongs to God. So what are we saying during Advent? We're saying that God has the possibility of creating a world like I just read. Now you can say to me, Oh, Father, come on. How's God going to do that? Naive realist that you are. Naive realist that you are. Why? Because you think that the only way that reality can be is the way that you perceive it, as in creation by itself. And that everything has to be subjected to the laws of reality the way it is right now. Everything has to be according to the law of reality. Be realistic. Listen to that. But the problem is, who created reality? Who created, periodically I'll be walking around... And I'll look around, and I get into a doubt. I go, how can you do this, Lord? How can you bring about this thing that you just described? And all of a sudden, I realize, wait a minute, Mario. He created all of this. And every time I look into the heavens, and we look at the, the, the space, and we look at the universe, and we look at, the, at biology, and we look at the way that the world is, he created all of this. What makes you think? that he can't do it over again. That's hope. There's a difference. Hope is when you're not bound by the realities and the limitations of this world. Hope is when you realize that God's power, who created the reality that you think is all there is, when you hope, you understand that God's promise will go beyond disillusion into the realm of what we're waiting for. And so, folks, that's Advent. Advent is not a season. It's not a season in which we're optimistic. We are not optimistic. There's a great theologian that, that I follow whose name is Karl Rahner. And he wrote an article that I've always loved, and it's called Christian pessimism. And in it he talks about the fact that within the realm of this world, folks ain't much up op- cause for optimism. But he's talking about Christian p- pessimism as the antidote for realistic naivete, optimistic naivete. And so during Advent we're not waiting for anything optimistically to happen. We're remembering that the reality that we have right now is not the only reality. That there's a reality in the future that we have been promised and that that reality will grow even though all that we can see is a stump.